0: welcome to the matcast this is where creative believers are encouraged to become Great artists. My my name is Matt Anderson. I am your mediocre host. I want to thank you for joining us. Would also invite you to please subscribe on this platform and give us a a five star review as well. Just remember that every time someone hits the subscribe button, an angel gets his wings. Uh, I am thrilled today to interview. Uh, as my guests, David and Vicki Elliott. Uh, They are doing something rather unique at this stage of their lives, one that I think relates perfectly to this podcast. After uh, 30 plus years of ministering in church in various roles, they kind of walked away from all that in obedience to God, and he has led them down this path really as missionaries, to intentionally and missionally uh, reach out to the artistic and creative communities of Sarasota, Florida, which has a lot of artistic uh, activity going on. Uh, they are the founders of Artisan, which is a, uh, a relational and discipleship movement that uh, intentionally reaches creatives. You can Uh, Go to their website, which is Artisans. That's plural. Artisans. Or actually, it's, he'll explain. (laughs) There's an extra S in there artisansculture.com. I think you will find this to be a very fascinating conversation. It will challenge you and probably even mess with you a little bit. But hey, uh, that's what artists do. So, without any further ado, here are uh, David and Vicki Elliott. On the Mattcast. So glad to welcome David Elliott to the Mattcast. Uh, David, thanks for uh, thanks for being a part of this.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Matt. Seriously.
0: Sure. And uh, you have your wife uh, Vicky there with you as well. And, yes. Um, and you and you folks are in Florida, correct? As we talk.
1: Yes, we are.
0: All right. Slightly different climate than up here in Cleveland. So.
1: yeah just a little bit
0: yeah uh i have i have windows open and uh no ac on right now so uh one of those rare enviable days here in cleveland so um so glad to have you have you guys with us and to, to tell us where where god's leading you uh give us some background if you could uh just let us know a little bit um who you are uh your family uh, and even most of your early ministry life.
1: All right. Yeah. Um, well, my wife and I are both from uh, pastor's homes. We were raised in in pastor's homes uh, in two very different environments. I was raised in Key West, Florida. Uh, and if anybody knows anything about Key West, it's a uh, it's a different world. It's uh, not even really part of the United States, I don't think. In fact, we seceded from the Union in the 70s. <laughs> I
0: uh, remember that.
1: Yeah, and uh, we formed the Conch Republic. And, I, rem- uh, I remember the that. The U.S. still very much is the Conch Republic. And uh, so I was raised in an environment that um, was very similar back in the day that I was growing up to what we see in the rest of the world now, or at least rest of the United States, uh, as far as culturally, some of the realities um, in my childhood, Vicky was raised in Central Florida uh, in a more conservative situation, more conservative area. Um, but both of us raised in pastor's homes, went to Bible college, um, knew each other before that, met in Bible college as re- in regard to our relationship changing. Um, and then we were in pastoral ministry for uh, 30 plus years in uh, in different um different venues different approaches uh in different scenarios we have two children um who are both world changers they are amazing uh adults uh our son is a youth pastor in raleigh north carolina and we have two grandkids there with our son his name is pepper and then our daughter zoe Um, She and her husband, Jake, uh, just have a heart for missions. They're actually on their way to Norway as we speak. Um, So we've been blessed uh, to raise two world changers. And as I mentioned, we were in pastoral ministry for over 30 years, and the Lord genuinely began to shift us. We didn't know what for. The the last church that we were pastoring at um, felt like the Lord had told us our time was— was done there. We put everything in storage and embarked on a five-year radical journey of trust. We didn't have an address for five years Hmm. Um, as a man that uh, called certain things out of me. Of course, my wife, I guarantee you, it called certain things out in her. And if I didn't have a foxhole buddy, we couldn't have walked this together. So Hmm. I'm genuinely appreciative for a, a wife who heard God as well.
2: I would definitely say in regard to that, that we do not urge anybody to do that unless it's the Lord's leading. <laughs> yeah. And thankfully, both of us knew along the way, and he continually confirmed. Every time we were weary, every time we thought this couldn't possibly be right, because we actually were living without a true home, we um, God continued to open space for us and people's lives to grow into the change he took us through to get us where we are today.
1: So what we knew when we resigned our position was the Lord told us not to put in a resume anywhere. So we thought, well, I guess something's going to come our way, another position. We were still thinking in the paradigm of pastoral ministry. And um, about a year in the Lord, uh, over the course of that year, I should say, the Lord really began to deconstruct us. A lot of Things that we didn't know were firm paradigms that we had, um, that the Lord had to deconstruct in us. Then He took the next year, reconstructing some different things, reorienting our lives, um, and we were learning to trust Him in a whole new way. Um, because we literally didn't have uh, we didn't have jobs, didn't have a position. And every time that we felt like, okay, surely it's time to get a job, we both knew beyond a shadow of a doubt through numerous confirmations that we were not in a season we were supposed to do that. We needed to just hear God and let him do what he was doing. So after five years, we are now um, relocated in the Sarasota area, and uh, embarking fully on the vision that God has given us, which was to shift our perspective from within the church to how do we be the church to people who are actively opposed to the church.
0: Wow. Yeah, and that has borne out even more specifically than that, correct? And, and it's taken you to some very specific people groups.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, pretty, on, pretty early on, I would say about nine months into this, God dropped in David's spirit the word artisan, and that's all we had, artisan. Um, We did not know anything of where God was leading at that time. But anytime we tried to add church, ministries, another word to it, we were um, immediately kind of like, oh, that doesn't fit. And so at that time, God began to show us, slowly but surely, reel out for us, that who he was calling us to were the artists and creatives. Um, here we have a lot of theater, and we also happen to have the circus arts.
0: Yeah. Um, can you explain that? That sort of, wasn't that for decades? Wasn't that the winter home of the Barnum & Bailey Circus?
1: Well, um, <laughs> yeah, this this was the headquarters period <laughs> for Ringling. Uh, Ringling is very prominent here in the area. The circus arts are very prominent here in the area. Uh, and the circus is alive and well here in Sarasota, even though Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey don't exist as an entity in regard to circus performing, um, there's very much the reality of Ringling. You've got the Ringling School of Art and Design here, which is second only to SCAD in regard to reputation for graphic arts and uh, just arts in general. Um, This is a very art-informed society, a very art-informed culture here. And um, there are several different circuses. In fact, we have the Conservatory of Circus Arts here. We have several circus training schools here. Um, This is the hub, the headquarters, um, and this is where the
2: uh,
1: International Circus Circus Guild is actually located, um, where some places have rotary clubs. We actually have show folks fraternities here uh, for, for circus performers, theater performers. So that's very central to the culture here. Everything is, is very informed by that.
0: Wow. I'll say, and it's, I would say it's a lot. You always hear of great metropolitan centers as being those kinds of, you know, the, the more deep artistic understanding, uh, communities, um, uh, I, I live up here in Cleveland, which a lot of people don't realize really is one of the great arts and culture centers of, of North America. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, a very, a very unique calling and not, not a people group that missionaries are lining up for.
1: <laughs> this is true. This is true. In fact, um, uh, when we approached um, our denomination, with the thoughts of what God was putting in our hearts and how we could move forward as missionaries to this people group, it really was not understood, Matt. Um, yeah. Generally speaking, we think of missionary work as being to an ethnic group or to a country uh, or maybe um, even more increasingly to cultures, like uh, there, I, I know of chaplains to motorcycle gangs and things like that. Um, but as far as a subculture, artists being a subculture, it's a very recent thing. In fact, the North American Missions Board has just recently uh, declared artists and creatives as a severely unevangelized subculture.
0: Yeah, and I would, I would agree with that. Um, I'm glad they recognize that. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's a big move forward from where things have been for so long. Um, yeah, and we
1: were, um, we were very encouraged, Matt, because actually the, when we decided or, or when our denomination um, kind of said, you know what, we really, we really don't have a place for this type of ministry, um, at first we were kind of discouraged and we had to get before God. And uh, we believe strongly in wisdom coming from a multitude of counsel. Mm. And um, those that we considered elders and people that spoke into our life, Um, really couldn't see this and didn't recognize it. So we were struggling with it and thought, okay, maybe we need to go a different direction. Um, But you know how God does things that you don't see coming. And our denomination wound up absolutely restructuring the entire U.S. missions department of our denomination because they saw that there were gaps. And um, when they built another arm, they constructed another arm called church mobilization and development that arm reached out to us and said, hey, we heard something about what you're doing, explain it. I think there's a place for this and we'd like to get behind it. So uh, it's amazing how things shift. When when God is speaking something to you, usually he's speaking something to the bride. It's not just you. And um, we do tend to get locked in a little bit with our perspective and, and miss that that God is saying something to the church as a whole. And, and we're just a piece of that.
0: Yeah. That's, uh, you know, and, and, and often that does happen. Sometimes people in leadership more come in on the back end of things uh, because, I, you know, when you have people who are doing things for the first time, um, you have to be willing to so put yourself out there that it means being horribly misunderstood. And yes, people saying, I don't know, that's a really good investment of, you know, and uh, you, you almost stop and say, did you hear yourself say that? And, you know, because we are talking kingdom here. Uh, I want to find out if either of you have had any sort of artistic, creative leanings in in your own life to this point.
1: Well, we very intentionally say artists and creatives um, because we serve a creative God. And he is creative even in the ways he dispenses his creativity among his creation and in us uh, as his disciples. And we see his creativity throughout all of mankind. Um, and so, yeah, we, there's been creative pieces with both of us. Predominantly, it was music. Um, I was very involved in theater and drama. Um, we love doing things, just creating with our hands, love refinishing furniture. Um, doing things as far as decor. So there's that creative side that, especially for men, somebody would look at you and say, uh, you're a little uh, a little creative there. Do you need to turn in your man card? And, uh, <laughs> and so there was that, that, that piece in me that I was always very much more toward the creative th- th- end of things. I wouldn't see myself as a uh, as what uh, a classical artist in the in the terms of like using a paintbrush and and those kind of things, and that was actually one of the struggles we had was okay, God, I get it, the drama, theater, music, those kind of things, but how are we supposed to reach artists if we don't have any art background? And to make a very long process short, um, I happened to notice a friend of mine from high school who I hadn't seen in <laughs> years. Um, because it was high school and I am not young anymore. Um, but she was doing acrylic pour art and it looked really interesting to us, connected with her and said, we'd love to learn. So she invited us to her house, found out she was about an hour away, went to her house, spent an afternoon where she taught us how to do pour art. And while we were doing it, we just shared our story where life had taken us and, and our experiences. She in turn shared her story and over the course of the afternoon, just sharing our stories, we found an intersection for the good news, which is God's story. And so we, we showed how that intersected, and, and we're able to pray with her and minister to her. And God did a real work in her life. And I remember when we walked away, we got in the car on the way leaving there, and we said, oh, my word, Vic, this is it.
0: This is it. My-
1: this is it, using art. And this is simple. Even somebody who's not a quote-unquote artist can do poor art. So... Uh, that's when the Lord began to open up the opportunity uh, to explore avenues in, into art therapy, using art, doing art clinics as a way to connect with people. and it's it's amazing how when people are just pouring paint on a canvas <laughs> with no control over where it goes, people will open their lives and share things that they won't say to a counselor. Hmm. And we hear their story, look for an intersection with the gospel. And usually, that involves our story and our testimony of what God's done in our lives, and we have the opportunity to pray with people and love on people.
0: I love it. Um, do you uh, do you sense that that there is a hunger and thirst within the artistic community? I mean, we we know because the gospel is the gospel. We we know that it it is a universal thing that all people need and and want. Um, But do you see an increased maybe hunger within that community for the message of the gospel?
2: I think more than we realize, Matt, um, I think more than we can ever realize that most of their art is actually declaring their hunger. Hmm. Um, If we could, if, if we just will engage in conversations regarding where their art comes from, um, what they feel inspired by, it will give a window. And sometimes it's those very windows that are the places that their hearts are broken or their hearts are longing, and they don't know what for. And many times they don't believe that it it is Jesus. But yet the cry is there
0: yeah okay i love it um is there anything different are there differences when it comes to to reaching creatives as opposed to you know reaching people who are traditionally at church or people in your community
1: um you know the interesting thing is this we look at people that are artists and if you know people in your your listening audience would classify themselves as an artist you know, they may say, you know, I just I tend to see things differently. And so we look at people that are um, that have an artistic bent or are creative and we think, well, they just see things differently. They, they think differently. And we consolidate into they are different. Well, I don't know. I, I, last I checked, we're all different. Hmm. Um, so there are a lot of similarities in, in reaching out to artists and creatives. I, I think the common denominator is relationship no matter what your context is or who it is that you're, you're reaching into is understanding that. But yeah, there are also uh, other pieces. Um, I, I think artists and creatives are highly experiential. Um, they may get into conversations and, and people can fall into the, I, I hate, I want to be careful here. I'm not saying apologetics is a trap, but for people to passively believe that, that, being able to convince somebody that they need Jesus is going to get it done. Hmm. Um, so falling into the trap of thinking we have to argue people into the love of Christ. And I, I believe with artists and creatives, because they're experiential, they want to feel something real. Um, th- they want to get past just mental consent. They want to get past the automaton approach of because this is what they say, this must be what it is. And so that's why artists and creatives seem to go the opposite direction of things because they're looking to feel something. And even their artwork, their creativity, their expression can be so passionate. And sometimes we will say, well, you're being dramatic, aren't you? Well, I mean, <laughs> We even use the term uh, to express that, that they're, they're trying to put their heart outside of themselves. And so, so if we can bring them to a place where they can genuinely experience and encounter the God of the universe, we're talking about a God who is so big, we measure his stuff with light years. And yet we reduce him down to these little arguments and, and ways of trying to convince people that he's real. Artists can see the reality of the grandeur all around them. And it's up to us to have an experience with this God in such a way that we can carry that experience to them because that's what they desire. The reality of a living, moving, breathing, true God, true creator that called them who they are and gives them the gifts that they have and inspires them to do what they do. So it really isn't as complicated as as we'd like to make it.
0: Is there a? Because you you mentioned the importance of relationship, in in this entire in this entire endeavor, uh, you know one of the things that I think believers get maybe even rightly accused of is um, so often we're looking for the stat and we're we're looking for the the notch in the belt of you know, we were able to share the gospel with X number of people. And now look at this pie chart and compare it to, and, you know, often when you're dealing with, with, uh, with different groups, such as creatives, you really can't quantify, quantify things like that. So much of it is just doing the hard work of relationship. Um, how, how do you guys think that looks for you right now when it comes to that, that sort of aspect of ministering to people?
2: That's exactly it right there. You said it so beautifully. It really isn't always quantifiable. In fact, um, I will quote an author that we read, Cesar Kalinowski. The name of the book is Small is Big, Slow is Fast. Um, and it, it talks about the approach of Jesus in just relational investment that doesn't move at a very fast pace until it begins to multiply in life after life. And, and I really believe that's the case. We've got to take the slow road and know them. I'm reminded so many times of how many people laud Hudson Taylor for what um, he accomplished in China. Mm-hmm. But the truth is Hudson Taylor left China without realizing what God had been accomplishing underground. It wasn't until we went back in many, many years later and were able to get back into communist China that all of a sudden people were speaking of a man, Hudson Taylor, who really left thinking he had no impact. Hmm. Are we willing to
1: do it like that? You know, we, hmm. we look at Jesus. We're talking the son of God, God himself incarnated in flesh. And after his earthly ministry, he's put to death. And he leaves and goes back to glory, and we know of 11 of his intimate disciples. He had 12, of course. Judas killed himself, so he has 11 disciples at the end of his earthly ministry. And we would look at that and say, what a failure. What a a horrible model. That was not a good business plan for God to implement. Um, I'm not sure about the ROI on that. There wasn't a good return on the investment. Um, and, and let's be honest, so many times we see where we're going to invest in ministry mm-hmm. in those terms yeah. and we're not okay with just obedience. I mean, that's what it is. It's about obedience and investing in the one. The call is still to come and die. It's not to have trophies where we say, look how many people we saw come to the Lord. But what Jesus did in those, those 11 men relationally had such an impact that we are here over two, we're we're two millennia later and we're still being wrecked by what Jesus did through relationship with those 11 men.
0: And you're right. It's so hard to put that on a brochure. And I think too often people, I I was having this conversation today at lunch with with a friend and uh, I'll I'll boil it down politically. Um, Folks who are on the left Simply give because they believe in the cause, and right. there's not. I I don't think they're you know most aren't even caring about. Well, I don't know who's in charge of the money and how are what are they going to do with the money and how is that you know. And again, we want fiduciary responsibility, but usually people who are more on the right, which would encompass most evangelical Christians, tend to want to. They want they do want to know the ROI. They do want to know well how many souls does this, you know, I, I know for X number of dollars, it means this many souls. And, you know, sometimes just that math doesn't, it doesn't work.
1: Yeah, you're right. I, I was speaking, um, to a, a very prominent, um, pastor and, um, somebody that many, 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 many people know and follow. And, um, I was connected to him by a a mutual friend. And um, so I was sharing what God had put on our hearts. And at the conclusion of the conversation, his response to me was, so you're opposed to the growth of the church. And I said, no, I'm very much in favor of the growth of the church. I'm not in favor of, quote, the church growth movement. But I believe very strongly that if we will value the 1, the 2, the 3, the 4, value the 100, value the 200, value the 300, however many that is, and deeply invest in those people, we will see God do something great. And his takeaway from the conversation was this, and I was floored. He said, so if you're asking me to support you financially, you're asking me to pay you a salary to minister to no more than 12 people. <laughs> And I, I literally – my response was, I don't know if you heard anything we just talked about. Well, don't – Because wow. the goal is exponential growth. Um, I, I did the math. Just, I'm going to do this very quickly, Matt, just for sake of time. But Can I just um, ask,
0: did he pull the number 12 out of the air? Or uh,
1: No, did, I told him that Jesus discipled 12 and that I believe that uh-huh. uh, if God – disciple 12. Why do we think that we can personally disciple a whole lot more than that at a time? So Ugh. anyway, that's a, a, just a quote that I gave him. Ugh. But I, I told him I, the thing that, I, that led me to do was to do the math. And so I went back and I said, okay, let's say I discipled, my wife and I discipled 12 people. And those 12 people, we deeply invested in them. And they began to live out the the Great Commission and live out what we're pouring into them. So we send them out, and they in turn, uh, each of those 12 on average discipled 10, just law of diminishing returns on average. Some may disciple more, some may disciple less. Uh, But let's say 10, and let's say those 10 then fully discipled uh, 8 and sent them out. And so you have this reproduction within three, and, and with that law of diminishing returns every generation, Within three generations, Matt, we'd be talking 1,200 fully discipled, radical disciple-making followers of Jesus.
2: Because a disciple has to be a disciple maker.
1: I mean, that's right. that is that's a mega church, 1,200 yeah. people, but it's not a church; it's a movement of discipleship. Right. And Mike Green says this. Mike Green says, if you make disciples, you get the church. But if you build a church, you may not always get disciples. So I'm not holding this up in opposition to the church. I'm just saying that we're intentionally going after the one, the two, and we're deciding in advance. We may not see the numbers that we can flaunt to the world, but there's going to be a day we stand before Jesus. And I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You did what I told you to do.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes in my conversations with, with friends and colleagues and people in ministry, I'll often say, the question is, what are we making? Because we are, that's the Great Commission, to make disciples. They don't happen by accident. They are, they're made. And the question is, what are we making? Are we, are we making fans? Are we making audience members? Are we making disciples, you know, and I and I think discipleship is not sexy. Um, no, it, it, it's it's slug it out, roll up your sleeves in the trenches day by day work, uh, because we know that the enemy of our soul attacks the process. He he hates it. And so, it you know, the warfare aspect and all of it, you know, it's it, there's so much into it into it that really so many shy away from it and it's it's just easier to do the the flyover approach uh to ministry um do you feel like if you were to let's say you were going to pastor again with what you all have learned in the last couple of years Do you think there's anything you would do differently as a pastor with, with what you now know and are experiencing?
1: Um, you know, the funny thing is the answer is yes and no. Um, we've always valued the unconvention of raising up and releasing people. Um, that it should be a decentralized approach. We've, all, we've experimented, experimented with that throughout our ministry life, no matter where we were, uh, and in no matter what capacity we were pastoring in. We've always um, worked through that idea of invest yourself in people that you release and send out to invest in people. Um, so there would be a lot of similarities there, but there are some pieces that we have now that I definitely couldn't see simply because I was viewing everything through the paradigm that my job, and I use job very intentionally, my job as the pastor of the church was to um, minister to Christians. Mm -hmm. And I think that would be the biggest fundamental shift, that when somebody comes to Christ, that if we understand we're to make disciples, not Christians, it would change everything. Because when somebody gives their life to Christ, my role in their life changes. Because I have to be intentionally engaged with the lost. Hey, let me ask you a question and your, and your listeners, Matt. Who who did Jesus tell us to go and make disciples of? Mm. I, I think it's a, a question that we usually don't ask. We don't ask the second part of this. He didn't say um, evangelize get them saved, then make disciples of those that become saved. It's not teach people who have become Christians how to be better Christians. It's go and make disciples in the world. We're to go to the lost and make disciples. So we disciple people through relationship into Jesus. Then when they surrender to Christ, our discipleship role shifts, and we then teach them how to live in Christ because they've chosen that new identity as they've surrendered their lives to him. So I think if I was going to do it differently as a pastor, that would be the biggest fundamental shift to me, is that I would spend a whole lot more of my time connecting with people that are entering a process of relational discipleship, as opposed to those that have given their lives to Christ, and now that's a different type of discipleship. In what that looks like. Do you have anything to add, hon?
2: Yeah, let me say this, that one of our key components, uh, as God would have it, the, the thing that we use to disciple uh, mainly is an icon-based uh, discipleship methodology. It is not a curriculum. Or it a is program. something that we work out in life together. So as a team, as our team, um, we will talk about it and teach it but then we actually live into that and one of our icons is the triangle the up the in and the out and i think that would probably be the most most impactful change that if we were to go back into pastoral ministry that we would have to be be um seeing this happen with the people that literally we are not just focusing on just what is normally declared worship as far as a service not event-based but living that worship in our in relationships with one another and out to the world with all three of those being of major importance
0: yeah and i i I think what you all brought out with the relationship doesn't begin at conversion or at the decision it's 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 Pre that. And that's where I think we, you're right. I think in church, we often fall short. We don't take the time to build the relationship to gen, not, not so that we, again, there's not a bait and switch. There's not a, you know, we genuinely love them. And, right. and they sense that, which then helps them to more better understand the love of Christ. And, and, and on we, on we go from there. I, yeah, that's a very, important point I think that I'm glad you I'm glad you all brought out
1: and I think it's very important there Matt to understand um, I know that there are a lot of Christian artists a lot of Christian creatives uh, that are out there and we've we've come in contact with a lot of Christian creatives and artists that have come out of either they've come out of the secular world they've given their lives to Christ or they were raised in the church and they just happen to be, Uh, artistic and creative, and they tend to um, congregate and form groups and organizations about how to be better Christian artists, and I I think those things are important. I think it's important that we prophetically uh, speak to the church, Um, and you're seeing a resurgence of this. Bethel has spearheaded that a lot. There's a lot of different pieces of that, where uh, painting and dance and whatnot. Can speak prophetically into the church, but we've forgotten and we've left our voice at the door of the church,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we have not re-engaged with the lost art world, with, with with where we need to be speaking the gospel and and demonstrating that to the lost. Um, and and I think we've reinforced that with some of our teaching where we we tell people, you know, um we need to be careful, bad company corrupts good morals, Uh, flee the appearance of evil, touch not the unclean thing. And yes, uh, holiness does call for a degree of separation that we are to live in but not of, however. Um, And I think we've got to intentionally re-engage rather than being so afraid that the sin around us is stronger than the grace within us. And if you're depending on last year's grace, or last month's grace, or last week's grace even, then yeah, you're you're in a place of vulnerability. Um, but when the grace of God is pouring out in our lives, and when we're hearing and obeying every day, and we're in his presence, then, then the God in us is so much stronger than the sin around us. And we need to be carriers and ambassadors of that.
0: So I think connected to that, um, Boy, it it seems like everything today, everything is political. Yes. And it's inescapable, you know, and and you're like, oh, look at this glass of water. And you're like, who do you think he voted for? And you're like, well, I don't <laughs> I think it's just a glass of water. And, uh, you know, and, and obviously m- most artists are not exactly known as right wing. So, most evangelicals are politically conservative. Does that get in the way for you? Because people can make assumptions about you all. Um, and again, you know, please, you don't have to tell us who you voted for. But does <laughs> it, it's so hard to avoid the topic. Um, and does that potentially get in the way of building that bridge with an artist with the, with the goal of, of bringing them to the Lord.
1: Do you want to embark on that or you want me to, to launch out?
2: I think there's, I think (laughs) there's a few elements to that. I think if we start out from there, we've started in the, the, the wrong place to begin with. Sure. But I think that, um, one of the things he told me very early on, I struggled with this, this was one of my first, um, I guess you could say arguments with the Lord is, you know, God, that I am, like, really conservative. I mean, really conservative. How am I going to do this? And he immediately pointed me to Peter and reminded me that Peter had gone back to his father's business, so he was rejected by the rabbis. He was chosen by Jesus as the rabbi, but he was rejected by the rabbis and went back to his father's business. But here he becomes the spokesman for the church to the Jewish people. And then we have Paul, who was the Jew of Jews, but God sends him to the Gentiles. Hmm. And the Lord just spoke to me, just do what I tell you to do, because if you do that, you will have grace to do that. Hmm. And I think when we start from a position of love, and when we start from a position of not being offended Hmm. at their life. Not being offended by what comes out of their mouths. We may totally disagree with it, but do not allow ourselves to be offended, but recognize that it comes from the place where they are. And that Jesus loves them deeply, just as he loves me deeply, and that I can reach in a position of loving them and relating to them and hearing their stories.
1: Yeah, I think um, choosing in advance to be unoffendable is very key. And it's not that difficult to do once we realize that the king of kings, the king of glory, the one who was perfect, left perfection and clothed himself in our imperfection. Talk about offensive. Wow. Hmm. Jesus took on the offense of our flesh and chose to live among us. God with us. It was his name. It was his identity that the God of perfection lived among imperfection, and he chose not to be offended so that he could bring us back to the Father. We couldn't, fi- we couldn't see the Father. All we had was the law. We had lost the image of the Father. That image was marred. Jesus says he came to us and said, I have shown you the Father. Now, go and make disciples. Represent me in the earth. Rather than just represent, we need to represent him. And if we're spending all our time being offended by, by the sin, which, let's be honest, it can be very offensive, then it's going to be very difficult to represent Jesus who chose to be unoffendable. So the the other part of that is, I, I think, very, very important, Matt, which is to understand that the divisions that we have right now in this hyper-politicized society, that's all been drummed up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's not where most of us live. We, yeah. we just don't. Um, Listen, if you're a conservative and you spend all your time listening to Fox News and Newsmax and all of these, you're going to find yourself highly offended at the left. Mm-hmm. If you are, are, are somebody who is uh, on the other side of, of the aisle and you listen all your time to MSNBC and CNN and, and the networks and whatever and Vox and all these others, then you're going to be offended constantly at the people across the aisle because there's, there's skin in the game for them to, to maintain this. But one of the things that was very key to us in understanding that God was bringing us back to Sarasota was we had tried several different places and and thought God might be calling us to some other places. And we decided to come here and and just prayer walk downtown. And we got out of the car, walked up the road, and and within a block or two, this guy comes walking up to us from Greenpeace and immediately starts up a conversation. And he starts talking to us about all these things. Doesn't this matter to you? Yes, it does. Doesn't this matter to you? Well, yes, it does. Doesn't this matter? Yes, it does. And we talked through all these things that we agreed on. And then we shared with him, you know what? I'm actually a conservative. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But I agree with you that we should take care of the planet God entrusted to us. I agree with you that we should value women because Jesus valued women. And 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 when you think about it, Who was it that initially valued women? It was Jesus. Women were not valued before Jesus. We talk about equal pay. Do we have to go to the parable of the servants that that were called into the harvest and the ones at the end of the harvest got paid the same as the ones who were early on in the harvest and they all got all bent out of shape? Jesus believes in all of these things. Mm. But we've misunderstood and we thought that there's so much to divide us We've missed the kingdom principles in the middle of it, and we've lost that you cannot have Camelot without Arthur. Yeah. So we just simply—that's the conversation right there. I agree with you on on so many of these things. The difference is, I don't believe you can have Camelot without Arthur, and I know Arthur. I know him well. <laughs> right. And
2: I, one thought that just as David was speaking came to me, and it came so clear that it was almost like a. a a sharp um dagger in a sense because it really calls on each of us if he was willing to be god with us why won't we be willing to be with them
0: certainly yeah yeah and that's you know i was thinking about the greenpeace guy and i thought i think that guy was evangelizing
1: he absolutely was right
0: you know and and he had passion for his cause and Uh, if nothing else just to hear about his passion and uh, to give him the room to express why it's so important to him you know that Mm -hmm. we actually listen uh, talk about a lost art um, in in our world and because you know we've got like I've got to get through the Romans road here you know And, and and we're like well no there's there's they're not ready for that yet they they They'd rather know that we genuinely care about them as a human being and uh, that we're not trying to get a, you know, put another scalp uh, on the wall. Um, I want to ask you this. uh, Do you feel like you've had to, this is a, it's a difficult question even to ask, but I think you know the answer in about three years from now how will you know that you are succeeding in doing this? Cause, cause again, right. We've already talked about, we, we don't know, we don't know what's going to happen and it, it, it could be very, very uh, just work through it every day, slug it out kind of ministry. Um, you know, and there, there may not be this massive revival in Sarasota. There could be, there certainly could be, but it may not be. Um, And we always hear, you know, we'll hear the stories of missionaries, particularly to Latin America or sometimes Africa and, you know, massive crusades and things like this. We're not necessarily expecting that here. But how will you know you're succeeding in in what you're doing?
1: (laughs) Uh, If you're asking for a rubric, um, my rubric pretty much has one line. Did I do what he told me to do? Right. Did I hear and obey? You know, the thing that's so amazing is after Jesus is baptized, says that the Holy Spirit descends and the voice from the Father, we see the Trinity there, and the voice of the Father speaks and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He hadn't even done anything yet. He'd been a good kid at home. He had helped his father in his father's business. He had loved his mother. He had done those things. He he hadn't had anything to quote unquote present to the father as trophies of his obedience. It was the fact that he was obedient and submissive. And Paul tells us that that he was he was submissive even to death on a cross. Jesus said yeah. Jesus said it this way. I only do what the father says to do. I only say what the Father says to say, that's success. Am I reflecting my Father? Am I looking more like Jesus today? At the end of the day, can people look at my life and say, you know what? I didn't agree with a single thing that guy said or did, what his values were, but man, he lived it, 100%. I want to be able to, at the end of it all, Stand before my father, whether that's in three years or 30 years, or it's after I pass away and I see him in glory. I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant.
2: You know, David hit on it. And and I just want to reiterate that, you know, five years of God walking us through process um, really led us to simplicity of a lot of things and coming down to just what David said hear and obey and constantly just saying, what's next Lord, all I'm responsible for at any point in time is the step I'm on and the step he's calling me to. I can't, um, I may have a vision that he's given me of what's out there, but I don't know how to get there. No matter how much I may want to know, the way there is always him leading one step at a time and being faithful with obeying him when he speaks.
0: And I was uh, I think that's what I was hoping to hear, (laughs) because (laughs) one of the things, you know, and I'm really trying to implore all of my Christian friends who listen to this podcast to really change their paradigm. When it comes to investing in the kingdom and just to not make everything about worldly standards of results, but seeing things the way the Lord does. Uh, I I think we give that kind of grace to our missionaries to Muslim countries. Uh, I But I think that sort of understanding needs to be extended to other ministry groups where... You're just really breaking up a a lot of a lot of uh, follow ground in doing this. I mean, uh, I I just see you guys as being very, very brave and devoting yourselves to this era of your lives and ministry uh, where there really aren't any guarantees. And and uh, but you already know that what you're doing is worth it.
1: You know, Matt. Before we started this journey, um, we we knew we were leaving the church that we were at. We knew we were resigning. Didn't know exactly what was coming, but the Lord asked me a question. And and I don't know if everybody has the kind of conversations I have with God. My wife has full-on conversations back and forth, like they're just she's just talking to a friend. He usually gives me like movie trailers and impressions, you know, <laughs> that kind of a thing. But. I remember this one day just being in prayer and being being quiet. I was just sitting quietly before him and, and saying, you know, God, I, I want to hear you. What are you saying? And I f- felt like he asked me, David, are you my currency? And at first I thought, well, that's an odd question. And uh, I wrestled with it. And of course, I just um, knee jerk reaction said, sure, I'm your currency. Yeah, I'm yours. I gave my life to you. And then he followed that up with, okay, well, if you're my currency, can I spend you wherever I want? Mm-hmm. Can I spend you however I want, wherever I want, whenever I want, for whatever reason I want to? And I really struggle with that one. Yeah. Because if we're honest, the answer would be no. And so I had to wrestle with that, and I had to come to the point where I could say, yes, Lord, you can spend me wherever you want. The call is still to come and die. And then he followed it up with this. I want to remind you, I don't need an investment advisor. Hmm. He doesn't need us to tell him, where he can get the best return by spending us in these places and not spending us in these places, Hmm. you know, reminding him, you know, God, I'm good at this. So you could use me here or I'm talented at this, or my personality is this, you can spend me here. But the Lord is saying, will you let me spend you places that bring me delight just to put a smile on my face? Are you okay with that?
2: Hmm. Yeah. And you know, with that, I, Had a friend um, a couple years ago that made a statement that I'll just never forget. He said, you know, he said, there's a lot of unauthorized work. And the Holy Spirit really, really broke that down for me and said, Vicki, when I don't say it, even if it's good things, you have used so much of your energy. You have worn yourself out for years in ministry doing the things that you felt needed to be done, that you felt others thought you needed to do, supposed to do, supposed to do, but when it's all said and done, you answer to me. And all of a sudden, it took me straight to where Paul says in 1 Corinthians that anything that he, that he that is laid on the altar and burns up, it's wood, hay, and stone. Double. It's it's our works. And when I get there, I want him to say, Well done, because I listened to what he had to say and I did what he told me to do. And that I didn't waste myself on the things that he said was not saying.
1: You know, Matt, there's somebody, there's people listening right now in your uh they're listening to this podcast. And what we're saying right now is drilling them right through the heart. I can almost see you. And I feel like the Lord wants to take a weight off of your shoulders Mm -hmm. because you're exhausted. Yes. You're trying to do everything you're supposed to do. You're working to be good enough but you need to be reminded there's nothing you can do to make him love you any more than he does right now. There's nothing you can do to make him love you any less than he does right now. That's not gonna, The things we do are not going to change his love for us. What he invites us into is the freedom of letting go of all of our own efforts and just hearing and obeying. And whoever you are, wherever you are, You're overwhelmed with the things that you're struggling with and you're trying to hold it all together and you're trying to, I can almost hear you say it, I wanna be strong, I'm trying to be strong. And instead, he wants to teach you how to lean into him. Not to stand on your own, but the more mature we become, the more we lean into him and the more pronounced our lean is. The older and the more mature we get in him, the weaker we realize we are. And so I feel like the Lord wants you to hear that you don't have to hold all the plates in the air. You need to hear and obey what the father says to do.
0: Well, I cannot add anything to that. Thank you for, uh, thanks for your obedience. Uh, not only just in general, but in what you just said, uh, I have a feeling that probably affected a lot of people. How, uh, How can people support you either as prayer partners or even more importantly, financially?
1: Uh, Do you want to jump in there? Well, The first is obviously prayer. Um, As you mentioned, this is hard ground we're plowing. Um, We're choosing to be the church to people who don't like the church. Um, And so we're choosing intentionally to engage with people who don't agree with hardly anything that I value until I help to draw the line for them. And so we're, we're praying that the door will be open for us to show them the place of agreement and to have those conversations. That's the work of the spirit. I can't convince anybody to give me and and my wife can't, and nobody here can convince anybody to give us an open door. That's the work of the spirit. No one comes to the father unless the spirit draws him. So we, desperately need prayers of covering and intercession for open doors for barriers and generational curses, uh, to be released, to, be, to for there to be a crack in the door for us to at least be able to share the hope that is in Jesus. Um, so prayer is, is number one. Um, uh, number two, obviously, um, we'd love to stay in touch with people. If people want to connect with us, maybe you are involved in the art world, or maybe you have a son or a daughter, somebody, that they're struggling with their identity because they're involved in the uh, the art world, the theater world, whatever. And and there's a real war going on for them. And, and we could encourage you. Um, we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. It would be an honor to agree with you in that, in that situation. So we'd love to connect with you and have relationship with you. And then, of course, you can obviously uh, support us financially. As with any missionary, our lifeblood is monthly support. One-time gifts are great. And and project gifts are great, but monthly support, especially no matter how small it is, um, that's what we use when we apply to get a loan. (laughs) That's what we use uh, to pay our bills. And uh, so if the Lord would lay on your heart to maybe support us monthly, you can do that. Um, You can go to our website. Um, As I mentioned, I've got to fix our links on there, Matt, but (laughs) I'll get that taken care of. Uh, You can go to our website and there's a link uh, to be able to connect and be able to uh, support us either uh, an, uh, in an ongoing basis or a one-time gift as well. Anything you want to share?
2: I know this sounds really strange to say, but if you will begin to walk out hearing and obeying and just asking God what's next, I believe he's going to bring the links of his chain together to see our worlds changed. And I don't believe Cleveland Or anyone that might be listening, no matter where you are, is all that far from Sarasota. I think he's going to link our hearts and link our arms and link our lives to really see our world, um, discipleship moving in our world to move people closer and bring them into the kingdom. So it's not a small thing for you to just begin to live your life in hearing and being obedient.
1: And if we can help you do that, we'd love to do that. If we can help to resource you and how you can intentionally uh, and yet organically connect with your neighborhood and network, uh, we'd love to do that. So again, you can contact us by going to our website. The website is artisansculture.com. Don't forget the S in the middle because it's not just any old artisan. It's the master artisan, the one who created us. We were made by hand and made by heart. So it's artisansculture.com.
0: Excellent. David, Vicki Elliott. Thank you so much for your time and your passion.
1: Thank you, Matt. Thank you. It genuinely was an honor to be with you today. Blessings to you.
0: I really want to thank David and Vicki Elliott for taking the time to be on the Matcast today. I trust that you were encouraged, challenged, moved all of the above. And I, I hope you will make it a matter of at least prayer to join with them and what they're doing and maybe even financially Again, their, their website is artisansculture.com. And we appreciate you being a part of the Madcast. Please share this with a friend. We want to expand our MattCast family. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at matcastworld at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Sound of Fusion. This has been a production of Monumental Ministries. If you'd like more information uh, about this ministry or listen to our archives, go to mattministry.com. Hey, thanks for having me over. I had a wonderful time.